Today I'm going to take a break from uh, the book of Romans and give a message that I gave almost three years ago. So if you weren't here three years ago, you've never even heard this, but uh, I said that I would repeat it every, 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 wow, every so often. I would repeat it every so often and then also edit it and add additional content to it because I think it's one of those messages we need to hear on a regular basis. And uh, that's basically what I've done today. So it'll, even if you were here three years ago, I doubt you remember it. But uh, even if you do, there'll be some new content in it. So today what we're going to do is simply consider a few reasons why it is so important for us to be a cross-centered church, to be a cross-centered church. I just gave a book out to these new members called The Cross-Centered Life. And I do that on purpose, intentionally, because our desire is to be a cross in our church. And I'd like to remind you or inform you, if you have never heard this, that our primary mission here at Summit is to make and multiply, yes, cross-centered disciples of Jesus Christ. It's, it's right under our logo. In fact, it's part of our logo under Summit Bible Church, the making and multiplying of cross-centered disciples. And by, and by making and multiplying cross-centered disciples, we hope to build and sustain a cross-centered church, a cross-centered church. But you may be wondering, what is all the emphasis on the cross-centered thing? Why all of that? Well, it's because uh, we believe that the church will not be able to thrive and honor God as she should, if they are not cross-centered, if they are not cross-centered. And for clarity, let me, let me describe a little, just quickly, what I mean by cross-centered. I basically mean this. It is persistently exploring and recalling and remaining focused on the message of the cross, the message of the cross, or, I could say it this way, all the glorious and wondrous truths and implications for the Christian that flow out of the historical event of Jesus' sin-bearing, sacrificial, and substitutionary death and subsequent resurrection. And beloved, the message of the cross, by the way, is not just one message among many within the Christian faith, but it is really the most important message that it contains. It is the message of the cross. Consider for a moment the words of the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a familiar text, in verses 3 and 4, Paul says this, For I delivered to you, to those in Corinth, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Another Bible translation puts that same text this way. It simply says this, What I received I passed on to you, and it is the most important of all. What is that, Paul? Here's what it is. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said he would. By the way, when Paul says Scripture, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about the New Testament? He's not. New Testament hadn't even been completed yet. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's saying this information, this gospel, this message of the cross is actually contained within the Old Testament Scriptures. He says, 
Christ died for our sins just as Scripture said he would. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day just as Scripture said he would be. Martin Luther, a great reformer of faith, he's quoted as saying this. I couldn't agree more. He says this, There is not a word in the Bible which can be understood without reference to the cross. Without reference to the cross. That gentleman who wrote that book, The Cross-Centered Life, highly recommended if you don't have it. It's a tiny little book, but wow, so impactful. He wrote another book called Living the Cross-Centered Life, kind of an expansion upon that. And in that book, this was his quote. He said this, The cross wasn't merely one of Paul's messages. It was the message. He taught about other things as well, but whatever he taught was always derived from and related to the foundational reality that Jesus Christ died so that sinners would be reconciled to God. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul authored approximately half of them. And there can be no doubt, no doubt, beloved, that when you read through them, that the message of the cross was central in his mind and to his writings. By the way, the cross will continue to be the focus of God's people long into the future. This is not some old message that occurred in the past and, or even now that we're excited about, but someday in the future we'll, we'll kind of just put it on a shelf. No, not at all. We'll continue to be focused on the message of the cross as seen in the book of Revelation a book that depicts some incredible events that have not yet taken place. There in chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, this is what it says. And when he, that is Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. What is that song? Here it is saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were, what? Slain. Here we go. Here, here again is, what is the focus on? The cross. And by your what? Blood. Your life given up on behalf of sinners. You ransom people for God. This is the song of the future saints from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth, all because of the cross. One writer says this, we, we never move on from the cross, only into a more profound understanding of the cross. We never move on but only into a more profound understanding of the cross. But unfortunately, beloved, we as Christians have a terrible habit of doing exactly that, of moving on from the cross in the sense that it's no longer our focus or of utmost importance to us, and we let other stuff consume our hearts and our minds. And the negative consequences of that can be, among other things, a a loss of our Christian joy and peace. 
or an increase in our sinful pride. You move away from the cross, pride will grow in your life. Or you move away from the cross, you, you move, you set it aside, it's not really the most important thing to you anymore, then you begin to move toward a performance-based Christianity, a performance-based Christianity. That little book, The Cross-Centered Life, again, that I handed out, it addresses that primarily, this performance-based Christianity. What is that? Oh, that's a God loves me more or God loves me less based on my performance today. That is a terrible way to live your Christian life. A terrible way. You want to be miserable all the time? Live a performance-based Christianity. You move away from the cross, that's what begins to occur. Arrogance can raise its ugly head in your life, in your mind, in your heart if you move away from the cross. Arrogance toward others. How about an unwillingness to forgive others? That's what occurs when you move away from the cross. Being hypercritical of others. Another downside to moving away from the cross. A lack of biblical love. And feelings of hopelessness. Beloved, like I said when I did this message the first time, I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to continue to come back to it because it is so critical for all of us to be and remain cross-centered. And let me just give you now one of the reasons why. I talked about this last time. Let me talk about it again. And that word, I would say, is resilience. Resilience. The cross-centered Christian is a resilient Christian. Uh, Let me give you a definition of resilience. It is the ability to recover quickly from setbacks. The ability to recover quickly from setbacks. So the older I get, and I'm not old, but man, I feel like it sometimes, and especially on rainy days, you know how the body starts to do weird things and aches and stuff. But the older I get, the less resilient my body uh, becomes. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, When you are younger, you fall. And you get back up. Uh, And you don't even care if you fall. Uh, But when you're older, you think think about falling, and you are very careful about falling because you may not get back up. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? You may not. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Or it may take you a long time. You just, you do not snap back. Oh, the days of youth. They were so glorious and but they pass so fast. Well, in this life, beloved, and I just gave that an illustration to talk a little bit about resilience. In this life, I'm sure you already know, we, uh, we will encounter serious difficulties and pains, right? Tragedies. And consequently, we will experience some setbacks. Some setbacks. But this shouldn't surprise anyone. Because we, we live in a broken and fallen world. The earth is cursed. It is a cool place, as Terry was saying. God has made some incredible things, but this incredible thing that he has made because of sin has been cursed. Genesis 3 tells us about that. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22 tell us about that. And contrary to what the false 
health, wealth, and prosperity preachers may say, all your troubles will not just go away if you simply have more faith. That's a lie. Or if you give more money to their ministry. That's the other part of the lie they throw in there. This is a passage in the book of Revelation. I go to it on a regular basis. Chapter 21, verse 4, for my own meditation, says this. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, God's people, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. Why? For the former things have passed away. Uh, Beloved, we live in the former things. That's where we live right now. For the new heaven and the new earth have not yet come. In addition to that, the lost, those without Christ, they remain enslaved to their sin. Okay, and that that causes all kinds of havoc, destruction. But guess what? The redeemed, Christians, the believers, although we are free from the enslaving power of sin, we have not yet been glorified. Our bodies have not yet been perfected, so they also remain tainted, free from enslavement, but still tainted and corrupted by sin. That's the current condition of this world and our bodies and humanity. So not only is our world broken, but so are we. So are we. Consequently, we not only experience pains and troubles caused by the lost or unbelievers, but we as Christians can also be guilty of inflicting pain and causing trouble for others. And all the difficulties that we end up facing in this life can at times result in a a lack of a lack of or a loss of our Christian joy, hope, confidence. Do any of you know what I'm talking about? And with those things, a lack or loss of our motivation to live for Christ. And when all that occurs, we can find ourselves getting caught up in depression, anxiety, maybe wanting to withdraw from people, maybe wanting to indulge in sin, right? Because at that moment, beloved, at that moment, that's when sin seems to be the loudest in our lives. And it lies to you and it says, I'll make this all right. I'll help you get through this. I'll make you happy again. Just embrace me. And unfortunately, all too often, Christians do. It's a lie. We lose our Christian joy, our hope, our confidence. It can can bring us to a place where we want to just give up. We want to check out. Don't want to do the Christian thing anymore. Don't want to do the life thing anymore. This is real, beloved. 
This is real. But now listen, I said all that to say this. The message of the cross is so powerful and so glorious that when we fix our hearts and our minds on it, when we let ourselves be consumed by it, the pains and troubles of living in this world, they don't magically go away or disappear. That doesn't happen. But rather, they are not able to keep us down. Because we find in the truths of the cross the ability and strength and encouragement to get back up, to recover quickly from our setbacks and press on and press on. I was reading the scriptures this morning. Paul and Barnabas, these guys, they're getting beaten and thrown in prison. But they're singing hymns and stuff. They're rejoicing. I've asked you before, how do you do that? Well, beloved, the message of the cross was on their lips. It was on their hearts. It was on their minds. It didn't make the beatings go away. It didn't make the imprisonment go away. But they were able to press on. They were able to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Continue to keep their heads up high and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. That's the message of the cross. That's the power of it. But you might be asking, how, how exactly does focusing on the message of the cross, how does it do all that, Jeremy? How does it do all that? Oh, there are many ways, but let me give you one. Here is one way in which it does that. Here's my question to you. What is the biggest problem humanity faces? What is it? Don't try to get the right answer. Just, just tell me what you might so I do this. Tell me what you think someone might say. Huh? Oh, yeah, come on. You know, the classroom, all the good students. Yeah, it's sin, of course. But I'm looking for something else. Come on, we'll get there. What do you think others would say? Okay, yes, the world needs more education. Okay? If we could just get more education, we could fix this mess. What else? Money. Okay, I'll call it, let's say poor economy, all right? People would say, hey, the biggest problem humanity faces is a poor economy, you know? I mean, the UN now has some resolution by 2030, uh, they're going to put all their power to it, the UN, like they've ever, okay, I'm not, that's all I'm going to say. Um, they're going to they're gonna solve poverty. No, they're not. No, they're not. A better, yeah, so government. People say, that's, our, that's the biggest problem humanity faces. It's the government. Uh, here, let me give you some more that I came up with. Global warming uh, is the biggest problem humanity faces. Uh, how about troubles? They, someone might say, person, on a personal level, it's troubles with my health. It's the biggest problem I face. Uh, or uh, lack of finances. It can certainly feel like the biggest problem uh, for people at times. Or uh, financial debt. Or how about my messed up family? Okay. Anybody, anybody got a messed up family? All right, I'm the only one. That's great. Fine. Uh, or their spouse. <laughs> That's the biggest problem I face is my spouse. I was using another voice because I would not have said that. You understand? 
uh, or their problem children, or their difficult children. That's what, uh, beloved, we may, not, we may not right here, right now say that, but at times that is exactly what we may be saying in our hearts or in our minds. We may be saying that. That is the biggest problem of my life. Uh, it is not the biggest, it's not your biggest problem and it's not humanity's biggest problem. The, the, the most significant problem humanity faces is what you said. It is sin. It is sin. For it is sin that separates people from God. From their creator. It is sin. Uh, the economy can't do that. Global warming can't do that. Uh, lack of finances can't do that. Problem families, problem children, they can't do that. It is sin that does that. And because it does that, it subjects them to the future certainty of God's eternal wrath and punishment against it. Against sin. That is humanity's biggest problem. That is, that is all of our biggest problem. It is that. It is sin. But, but, at the cross, at the cross, Jesus Christ solved once and for all humanity's biggest and most significant problem, the problem of sin. A problem that, listen, really makes all of our other problems pale in comparison. Through the cross, and only through the cross, we who have believed, we who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, have complete and utter forgiveness of all of our sins. You get that? You know that, right? But you've got to be reminding yourselves of that. Past, present, and future forgiven through the cross, through what Jesus Christ accomplished on our behalf. Now, in light of what I just said, let me read this passage to you. We've looked at it before, but it's in Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. There it says this. The Apostle Paul, quoting David, says, Blessed are those whose, and it's, uh, this is how he finishes that sentence, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, right? Not blessed are those whose financial debts are forgiven. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Verse 8, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Who is that man? Huh? It is the one who has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the one. Blessed is that one. Blessed, beloved. You might be experiencing pain or hardships in your life right now, and, and if not right now, then no doubt you will. Sometime in the future. But if you have the forgiveness of God, which you have, if you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, then according to God's word, you are truly blessed. Beyond measure, your biggest problem has been resolved. You know, Just think about it. If they had a meteor, you know, they talk about this every once in a while, these meteors that are eventually... 
they've been watching and looking, you know, some big meteor is going to come and if it aligns with us just right, boom, we're gone. So they're working towards some plan to try to, I don't know, move it, destroy it or something like that, just in case this happens whenever. But just think about this, all right? I can just see it now. If NASA or whoever were able to actually lock on on a meteor and know that based on all our calculations, it was going to come and hit the earth and then wipe out humanity. They would say, certainly the world would think, that's our biggest problem. Huh? Still then I'd be, that is not our biggest problem. Because if that thing comes and wipes out all of humanity, they still got to face God. And I can imagine that if they solved that, it would just make a fantastic movie for sure. Blockbuster. And everyone would be like, oh, we've been saved. Yeah, saved. So you can live another 30, 40 years. And then you'll face God. And if you die without Christ, you'll be condemned forever because of your sin. You see what I'm saying? Come on, bring the meteor. I'm done with this place anyway. Don't, don't move it out of the way. I want to know where it's going to land. That's where I want to be standing. Because I'm ready to go see my Lord and Savior and get out of this place. Hmm? You see? Another passage that you know very well says, There is therefore, it's Romans 8.1, what? No condemnation for who? For who? Yeah, for those in Christ Jesus, for those who have given their life to him, for those who are trusting in him and him alone. One writer says this, I love it. The unbeliever has his judgment day before him. That's what he's, that's what he's waiting for. That's his date with destiny, judgment, the unbeliever. But the believer in Christ, he has his judgment day behind him. It occurred at the cross. I will never be condemned by God. Not because I don't deserve it, but because Christ rescued me from that wrath. I'm good. I'm good. It's this kind of truth, beloved, that I believe enables us as Christians to snap back from the setbacks of this life and inspires and strengthens us to continue to press on for the Lord and live out the rest of the time that we have on earth, that he leaves us here for his reasons and for his purposes, that we might live for him, all right? Serve him until he calls us home, until he comes and gets us. It's that kind of truth. Someone told me once that when someone asks you how you are doing as a Christian, how you are doing, that you can always say truthfully, if you're a Christian, you can always say this, better than I deserve. Don't you feel awkward about that sometimes? Like people say, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm miserable right now. That's how I'm doing. That's how I feel anyway. You're like, I'm good. I'm good. You know, you're lying, you know. But in reality, you can't say this and be true. You can say, hey, I'm better than I deserve. I am better off than I deserve by far. I deserve the wrath of God against my sin. I deserve to die and go to hell. But not for me, baby. Not for me. Not because, and it's for this reason only, because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, I'll never experience any of that, so I am better off than I deserve. 
Or you could just say, hey, how you doing? I'm truly blessed. And not because you just got a nice car, you got a house, that's all fine, but those things are going to perish. I'm truly blessed because the Lord will never count my sins against me. Huh? That will change your attitude, beloved. That will allow you, and even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances of this life, to press on. My biggest problem has been resolved. You with me? Here's another one. Purity. So the cross-centered church is resilient, but the cross-centered church is a pure church. Is a pure church. What do I mean about what do I mean by purity? I mean freedom from contaminants, all right? Because that's what the word means. Freedom from contaminants. What am I talking about? Through the cross, we have the power now to escape the filth and defilement and destruction of the awful contaminant, pollutant, and toxin of personal sin. It's through the cross. The cross gives us not only the ability but the responsibility to truly live for God. To use our bodies no longer as instruments for sin, but now as instruments or vehicles for righteousness. And this is so important, beloved, because, listen, not only will a lack of purity, defilement, wreak havoc in your own personal lives, do you know what I'm talking about? When you say yes to sin and no to righteousness, when you become defiled by it, it'll wreak havoc in your lives. Huh? Am I making this up? No, I'm not. But it also greatly harms the church. Greatly harms the church. If I, if I could count all of the ministry hours that are given to folks because they have chosen to defile themselves. They have not said no to sin and, or, or they've said yes to sin and, and, and no to righteousness. They, they are not living within the light of the cross. They're not living cross-centered lives. They're not remembering that Christ died, that they could say no to sin and live for God. They're not thinking that way. They're not living that way. Hours and hours and hours of time spent with folks. I would and that's, hey, that's part of the Christian life for sure, but it would be so awesome if I, we had that time to devote to other things. But much ministry time is consumed by people not saying no to sin. And yet Christ died for that very reason that we might say no to sin. Romans 6, you, you remember these passages? We went through them, but let me remind you of them. This is what it is to be a, a cross-centered individual, to be a cross-centered church, is to remember the truths and the implications that flow out of that incredible historical event. The Apostle Paul says this, we, we know that our old self was crucified with him, that is Christ, in order that the body of sin that is, our bodies through which sin operates, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free 
from sin. Beloved, being in Christ, we have been joined with him in his death on the cross. And as a result, death has brought freedom to us. That death has brought freedom to us. Sin no longer has power and dominion over us. Mm -mm. Now, it will tell you it does. I've told you this before. That's the lie of sin. But it is not true. By faith, you must believe what the Word of God says. You must remind yourselves of the cross and what it accomplished on your behalf. You now are free from that enslaving power. You don't have to keep giving into sin. You don't have to keep saying yes to it and letting it destroy and ruin your life and the lives of those around you. He goes on to say in verse 10 through 13, for the death he died, that is Christ, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you, Christian, also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't do it. You no longer have to do it. You've been set free. Do not present your members to sin, your mind, your eyes, your will, your hands. Your don't, the members of your body, don't present them to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but rather do this. Present yourselves, all of you, to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That's the cross. That's the message of the cross. We talk a lot about forgiveness, and we should. We should. But the cross didn't just bring forgiveness. It brought absolute freedom from sin, its power that it had over us before we came to Christ. One writer says this. Another great book. It's called Changed Into His Image. Changed Into His Image by Jim Berg. It says, because of Christ's death, the Christian is no longer in bondage to sin. Is that true, beloved? It's true. It's true. We know it's true because the scriptures tell us. Now you have to act on that truth. You have to walk by faith. This is what it is to walk by faith. Not believing for a bigger house or a nicer car or that your health problems will all go away. That's nonsense. This is what it means to walk by faith. Believing what the word of God says and acting upon it. Because of Christ's death, the Christian is no longer in bondage to sin outside of Christ. The sinner is in slavery to sin, a state of misery and bondage from which he cannot free himself. Sin is a terrible master that has sufficient power to coerce and control in spite of the sinner's best intentions or efforts. But in Christ are the basis and reason for and only hope of victory over sin's dominion. Because Christ destroyed sin's dominion by his death. That's the cross, beloved. And because the believer was united to that death through faith, it is illogical that the believer should continue under sin's control. In other words, don't live your life like sin still owns you. It's not your master anymore. You have a new master because of the cross. That master is the Lord Jesus Christ. Live in light of that reality. See why it's so important to remain cross-centered, beloved? Purity. The pursuit of righteousness 
fleeing from unrighteousness and sin, all of it, all of it is found in the message of the cross. And this one's fast. Just one more reason. I want to close with this, and then our brother will uh, maybe, I don't know, he's holding a baby, but maybe I'll have to do it. I don't know, but um, we're going to have a time of communion. And again, remembering the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. But here's the last one. Here's one more reason you and I need to remain cross-centered, okay? Love. Love. You know, we've been talking a lot about love, right? Okay. Well, remember I told you love is so, the definition of love is so messed up in many people's minds because they've adopted a Hollywood definition of love or the world's definition of love rather than the biblical definition of love. You know what? We are taught how to love and what love is by focusing on the cross. Did you know that? Yeah. Remember that definition I keep giving you, a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved? That's biblical love. You know how I know that? Because that's what we see in the cross. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, this is what it says. The Apostle Paul says, To the Christians there in Ephesus, therefore be imitators of God. Imitate God. Let him be your hero. As beloved children, verse 2, and what does he say? And walk in love. How, Paul? How are we to do that? What's that look like? It looks like this, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what it looks like. That's how we are to walk. It's a, it's a self-sacrificing love, a, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's what that love is. That's how we are to live our lives out now, in that kind of love. In, uh, in his study Bible, the one that we uh, have here available for people to purchase, just a good resource, the writer says on this passage, the Lord is the supreme example in his self-sacrificing love for lost sinners. He's it. He's our model. We are to be imitators of his great love. How? In the newness and power of the Holy Spirit that now indwells us, who enables us now to demonstrate divine love. You want to know what love is? I want to know what love is. I forgot the rest of the song. (laughs) I want you to show. He showed you. He showed you in the cross. You want to know what love is? Look to the cross. And there you will see it in all of its wonder and glory. And it is that very love we are called to manifest. How? In our own strength? No way. But in the power of the divine one who dwells within us. One other passage, 1 John 3.16. We went through this a long time ago. We went through the book of 1 John. Here's what the apostle John says. By this we know love. Tell me, John, by what? That he, who's he there? Who do you think it is? That Jesus laid down his life for us. That's it. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He's saying, listen, we know what love should look like. Because we have a perfect example of it in the historical event of Jesus' death on the cross for our behalf. Jesus gave up his life. Let me remind you again, not as a victim, right? 
He didn't get caught up in some situation that he couldn't get out of. He willingly went to the cross on purpose in order to save sinners, rebels, and to reconcile them to God. Jesus' death was love on display, a love that went the distance, a love that was willing to sacrifice for the good of others for their sake. Jesus' love was not simply sentimental, you know, nor did it express, its word, express itself only like this, hey, I love you, I love you. It wasn't that. It was real. It was clear. It was tangible. You could see it. Loving us, he laid down his life for us. By this we know love, beloved. And John says, is this type of sacrificial love that Christians ought to have or manifest toward one another a love that is willing to surrender, if necessary, even one's own life for the sake of their brothers and sisters? That's love. Biblical love. And we see it in the cross. We learn about it in the cross. We know it truly through the cross. It is a love that is prepared to meet the needs of others, whatever the cost and self-sacrifice. Beloved, listen. It is the message of the cross. I'm going to close now. It is the message of the cross that should ultimately be what defines us and captures our hearts and rises to the level of most important in our lives. And you think I got this figured out? I don't. Because very often, when I get to my dark places... I know why it is, because I've allowed the message of the cross to move away from my mind and my heart, and I've allowed other things to come in and consume me. I think I need this message more than you, or maybe as much as you. It must be central in my life and in your life. The cross not your careers, your ministry, your relationships, your status in life, your successes, your failures, your political party. No, the cross. I am, I am fully convinced of this. And one of my goals as your pastor, it's a goal that really never ends, it's an ongoing one, is that we would all share in that conviction that we must remain cross-centered and help one another as a church to hold on to the cross. Never leave it. Never forsake it. Don't let it come out of your mind or your heart, but remain fixed on the cross. Some of you are readers. I'm going to recommend this book to you. It's by a gentleman called, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a book called The Cross. He's, he's with the Lord now. But uh, he wrote a book called The Cross. I highly recommend it to you. Let me read this. He lived, uh, he died in 1981. Fantastic pastor. Here's what he wrote. Back of his book. It's $13 on Amazon. We'll blow $13 on coffee, you know. Superficial views of the work of Christ. Superficial views of the work of Christ produce superficial human lives. 